All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, good to see everyone here this morning. Um, for those of you are, who are here today for the first time as a visitor or a guest, glad you're with us, and I uh, hope you feel welcome at your time with us this morning. You should have got a bulletin on your way in. Uh, there's more information in the bulletin about things that are coming up in the days and weeks ahead. Um, and uh, actually, today we are having our chili fest. You probably noticed on your way in that there's some pots of chili out there uh, heating up. Thank you to everyone who has uh, brought in their chili and prepared that. And um, if you are here for the first time, you are welcome to join us afterwards. Uh, grab a cup of chili. Uh, there should be a lot of good varieties. And if there's anything more we can help you with getting connected, there's a, um, there's a connection card at our, at our uh, welcome table. If you want to fill that out, uh, we can follow up with you in any way that would be helpful. Um, so let's just pray together and we'll just look into God's word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your living word and Lord, the opportunity to open it up. And as we do, uh, Lord, you open up our hearts. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would do, uh, Lord, the work that you alone could do, that you would change us. Lord, transform us from the inside out, that our lives might reflect more of the likeness of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and Savior. We pray to this end in his great name. Amen. Uh, there's an article that came out about a week and a half ago. It's in the New York Magazine, and it's authored by a financial advice columnist. Her, her name is Charlotte Cowles, and she named the article, The Day I Put $50,000 Into a Box and Handed It to a Stranger. Um, the subtitle of it is, I Never Thought I Was the Kind of Person to Fall for a Scam. And the, the story is an autobiographical account that, that tells about what happened on an October day uh, this past year. Charlotte answered her cell phone and fell prey to scammers who were posing as CIA agents. And before that day had ended, she went to the bank, she withdrew $50,000 from her account, she put the money into a shoebox, she walked outside her Brooklyn apartment handed it to a stranger in the car who took her money, drove off with it, never to be seen from again. And all this happened while her husband and her son watched from the window inside their apartment. And what's so shocking about this story is that it didn't happen to some kind of like unsuspecting elderly person or someone who you might consider to be ignorant or uneducated. This happened to a smart, well-educated, streetwise professional. Someone you'd never think would fit the profile of the kind of person who would ever fall for a scam. But uh, welcome to our world, right? The scams these days are sophisticated. The, the scammers are everywhere, and everyone is a target, and all of us are vulnerable, Scams, they come in all shapes and sizes, and the reality is, is that the scamming doesn't always stop once you walk through the doors of a church, or once the conversation starts turning to spiritual matters. There's also spiritual scammers. There's those who would use spiritual platforms posing to be something they're not to prey on God's people. You can find them on TV, you can find them in the bookstore, but um, what they do, they do what they do with ulterior motives in mind. They, 
they've, they've been on the scene um, from the very start using God's name to take advantage of God's people. And so this is a reality that we need to be alert to, but not afraid of, um, because there is a way to safeguard our lives from the spiritual scams. And it doesn't require living in fear or being paranoid everywhere we go. Um, The way to safeguard from being deceived by lies is by deliberately building our lives on truth. And that's the message of what we're looking at this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've been in a series um, called um, House Rules, uh, making our way through the book of 1 Timothy, which is actually a letter Um, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young church leader named Timothy. And his church needed some house rules set up in it. And so we've been looking at them each week. And one of the main reasons uh, for the need for these house rules because the, the saints in his church were getting scammed. There were Christian charlatans in his church, false teachers who were roaming around the house and And they were charming and they were persuasive. Um, They claimed to bring authoritative insight into spiritual matters, but they had ulterior motives. Their agenda was to fool, to scam, and to steal from God's people. And they were making a pretty big mess of things in the church. I don't know if you remember or if you ever read the book, The Cat in the Hat, the Dr. Seuss classic, The Cat in the Hat, but there's this one part in the book where there's these two characters, thing one and thing two. And once they get let out of this box, they're in this house and they make an absolute mess of everything. They go on this nonstop spree of just destruction. And I don't know, someone would just, I have a little bit of OCD in me. And when I get to the point about thing one and thing two, like I just, I just get anxiety, I gotta tell you. Um, But that's kind of what these con artists were doing to God's house. And so 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul lays out his strategy. Here's how to put the house back in order. And so we've been looking at different house rules throughout each week. There's only one this morning, and that is God's house is set up to be scam-proof. Scam-proof God's house. And so we're going to jump in, and I actually want to look at the last verse of chapter 3, because I think that sets the tone for the conversation that follows. And, and, and in it, Paul is actually quoting a song lyric, um, which I like because if you've been around for a while, you know that's something that I like to do from time to time, grab a song lyric and share it. But this one that Paul shares is not from the 80s, unlike mine. Uh, this one would be a true golden oldie somewhere around the year 50 AD, maybe a little bit before. Um, But scholars say that this is amongst the earliest creedal statements that that shows what the first Christians believed. So I want to just invite you to listen to this few lines from this ancient hymn. It says, This great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So, so it's very likely that as Timothy was reading the line, reading these lyrics, he would have started humming the tune in his head. 
right? The church that he pastored would probably have sung that song in their times of worship together. And, and some parts of it are clear to us. Other parts are not quite so clear. But what is crystal clear is that the first believers, they were singing about Jesus. They were exalting him from the very start as the one who manifested in the flesh, that that God through Jesus had broken into human history, fully God, fully man. It's the mystery of the incarnation. Uh, As the one who had been vindicated by the Spirit, it says, that everything Jesus taught, everything he claimed to be, everything he did was confirmed. The ultimate confirmation, the ultimate vindication uh, was his resurrection when he rose from the grave and Conquer death. It talks about the angels in the heavenly realm testifying to it. And, and then here in the earthly realm, for the past 2,000 years, the same Jesus has been proclaimed among the nations by his people as we share the gospel with others. And he continues to be believed on in the world. And then the last line reminds us that he's been taken up to glory, that he is now at the right hand of the Father reigning in heaven. And so these lyrics, they're kind of like a musical articulation of the gospel message. You know, we have songs like that ourselves that we sing today. Um, Maybe you remember, we don't sing it currently, but maybe you remember the song, Lord, I lift your name on high. Um, You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. You don't have to take that one out. It's okay. Um, but there's another one we, uh, we do sing today. Um, Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sin far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. So Paul's like singing these songs to Timothy. He's downloading this gospel soundtrack into Timothy's head. He wants Jesus. He wants the gospel to be front and center, stuck in Timothy's mind as he's wading into this subject of of scammers, spiritual scams. And part of the reason for that might be because the scammers, they were putting everything but Jesus and the gospel front and center. So, So let's listen to the, to the alert, to the warning he issues about spiritual scams. And Paul's going to address the particular one that was going around his church. It says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So um, this passage is a bit of a warning. It's, It's alerting us to the reality of spiritual scams. And in terms of a level of warning, like how would we rate this? I think the intention here is to put us on high alert. And now, that may seem like a little bit over the top, like, come on, really? Um, 
But yes, the reality is yes, this warning is for real and it applies to us. It says that these spiritual scams are more of a threat than we might think for a few reasons. One is that the teachers, he says, may be human, but the teachings, he says, they're, they're of a diabolical origin, that there's even a demonic component to them. So, so the scammers, they may be in it for the money, but behind them, Satan is also in it, and he's in it to take your faith, to steal your faith. This warning matters to us because the passage also makes it crystal clear that some will get sucked into scams. So some will depart the truth because they've opened up their lives to lies. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of who. Who is going to get scammed? It was happening in their day. It's still happening today. It's, it's a reality for all the days in between Jesus' first coming and his return. And that means there's just this urgency for each of us to, to take appropriate measures so we're not the ones getting sucked into the scams. So, so here's the question. Um, if that's the case, then what are we on the lookout for? What, what actually does a demonic teaching sound like? Right? And, and so I was thinking about that. And, you know, there's a few things that came to mind to me first right off the bat. One was like something like, you know, if someone is biting the head off a bat right? That's probably a demonic teacher. I don't know, I just got these images of the 80s and Ozzy Osbourne, that was his thing. Um, You know, if someone is like sacrificing a goat and drinking its blood, things like this. Let me tell you, that's sensationalistic. How about it sounds something like this? You're not a real Christian if you get married. If you're a real believer, you won't eat that food. You won't eat meat. That's what it sounded like in Timothy's day. They're teachings that turn God's blessings into burdens, that make it about what we have to do for God instead of what God has done for us. They're teachings that make major issues out of minor points. All of these are signs. They're, they're, they're warning signs that there might be some kind of scam at play. It often starts with something like this. Do you know what everyone is getting wrong in the church today? Right? Do you know what no one in the church ever wants to talk about these days? And when you ask, well, what is it? The answer is not Jesus. It's not the gospel. It's some kind of minor, nuanced, secondary issue. Often there's some element of truth to it, but it's blown way out of proportion. It's majoring on something minor. Sometimes it takes a personal conviction and extends it and obligates it to everyone. Seems to be the case of what's happening there at uh, Timothy's church. So, so if God happens to call you not to get married or to eat vegetarian, then good for you. That's great. Go for it. But I will tell you, at least for this man, it is not good for me to be alone. Um, and And that's what God said, right? It's right there at the start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. There's nothing second tier about marriage. And and make no mistake, there will be beef in the bowl of chili that I eat after church this afternoon, (laughs) right? And if there's any chili with bacon out there, that's going to be in my bowl as well. Thank God for the new covenant, right? Amen. Pork is on the table. 
Um, and once again, there's nothing second class about that. But there will be some who would hear statements like that and be swayed by them, entertain those thoughts. Maybe he has a point. Maybe I shouldn't be married. Maybe I shouldn't eat meat. He, he sure sounds persuasive with what he's talking about. That's a sign of a scam. Sometimes it starts out with somebody saying something like this, I want to get into the really deep things of God. Right? Enough of the shallow stuff, but then you find out, well, what are you talking about, the deep things? They, it's not the gospel. It's not Jesus. It's, it's something fringe. It's oftentimes some kind of conspiracy theory. Pastor, when are you going to address the deep subjects? What do you mean? I want to talk about the Nephilim, right? Those are the giants from uh, Genesis, right? Or, or the Illuminati, or, or the government plot to implant microchips under our skin. You laugh, but yes, these are actual things that have been asked of me. And, and there's nothing deep about them. They're, they're distractions. So, so just so you know, once you are talking about Jesus, once you are in the conversation about the gospel, you are in the deep end of the pool, okay? Um, but the false teachers start by trying to just get a different soundtrack stuck in our heads. Turn off that song that makes much of Jesus. Turn on this song, the one that makes much of you. Stop singing about freedom Start singing about fear. Stop singing about grace. Start singing about law. Stop singing about blessings. Start singing about burdens. Stop singing about all the things that Jesus has done. Sing this one about all the things that we have to do. And some are going to get sucked in. That's the message, that there's going to be those who will switch stations and, and turn into, tune into lies. So, so step one is being aware. We've been made aware. The next step is then to, what do we do? Take appropriate action. That's what the passage talks about next. There's actually five firewalls of protection that are described here to deliberately set up in our lives. And, and, and just to give you the original context, these are orig- originally, they're addressed to Timothy, specifically as a church leader, but the principles, I think, extend and apply to all of us. So I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and look through the, uh, the five firewalls. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
Okay, so uh, there's ways to keep from being deceived, and it's by living a deliberate life, by deliberately building our lives around the truth. And so there's five firewalls here. The first one is to feed on solid spiritual truth. So it talks about being trained in two things. And, and the Greek word for trained means to be nourished daily on. So you can almost think of it as two essential ingredients of a healthy spiritual diet. First, it says feed daily on the words of the faith. So that would be a reference to the word of God, to the gospel. And, and we've already said it, but we'll say it again. If we're going to talk, let's, let's talk about how good God is. Every day, let's talk about the cross of Christ. Let's keep reminding ourselves that grace is still amazing and God keeps on pouring it out to undeserving lives like mine. And that grace is continuing to work its way out in the way we live and how we, how we go about doing things. So that's, that's the one ingredient. The other essential ingredient talks about is, is good teaching or good doctrine. Make sure there's healthy doses of good doctrine making its way into your life on an ongoing basis. Good doctrine, that basically ties together truths we find in God's word, puts it into a framework that's consistent, that's unified, that's categorized, so we can talk about things like the nature of God, uh, like creation, like what it means to be human, uh, death, heaven, judgment, the church, so forth and so on. There's different categories that, uh, that are helpful for understanding, for putting a framework in place. Now, some people, immediate response is like allergic to the word doctrine, right? I don't care about that doctrine stuff. I just want to follow Jesus. I, I don't want to study theology. I just want to read the Bible. Both statements, they sound really spiritual, but I got to tell you, they both leave you vulnerable, Vulnerable to being scammed. Do you know that every cult reads the Bible? Right? Do you know that the devil reads the Bible? When, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he used the Bible. People can make the Bible say just about anything they want. Just grab a verse, rip it out of context, and apply it to whatever suits your agenda. That kind of thing happens all the time. And so we give thought to how is the Bible being used? How is it being read? Is, is someone else taking their meaning and pouring it into the Bible? Or is the author's original meaning being drawn out of it? That makes a huge difference. That's why it's so urgent, so critical to build up a base of just solid doctrine and theology. And the reality is there's, there's no way to avoid theology so the moment any of us open up our mouths and we start talking about God, say anything about God, you are doing theology. That's the definition of what theology is. The question is, is your theology good or is it bad? You're going to do theology. Are you a good theologian or a bad one? That matters. Um, and as we get the good in, it helps us keep the, the junk out. Verse 7 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, Silly myths, that's what these uh, teachers were trying to propagate. Good teaching, good doctrine helps us keep the plain things, the main things. 
right? All those minor ridiculous issues, the silly controversies that people want to wrap you up in, when they come your way, if you've got that solid base, you just say, no thanks, not interested, not going there. So that's firewall number one. Firewall number two is go into training. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, train yourself for godliness. So he doesn't say try to be godly. He says train for it. The same way someone would go about training their body. There's, there's a big difference between trying and training. And I'll give you an example. Um, I've been riding bikes with a group of guys on Wednesday nights for the past couple of years. And this group goes at a pretty good pace. And I've consistently been able to just stay with the lead group out in the front right up to this particular point, right until we hit this, this hill. Uh, this hill happens to be on, I'll tell you right where it is, it's on Boyd's Corner Road, right off of 301, right past Clearpool Camp. This giant hill emerges, and for the past two years, when we hit that hill, as hard as I've tried, I cannot stay with the lead group. These guys, are, they're younger than me, they're, they're stronger than I am, they're in better shape than I am, and so when we hit that hill... I drop off. Um, but this winter, I started training with a coach. And every, every week, he will send me workouts to do. He has me doing things that, I got to tell you, I would never have thought to do on my own. Honestly, things that oftentimes I don't want to do. Um, but there's a goal in mind. The end is that it's going to make me a stronger cyclist. So... I'll tell you, this afternoon, after the chili lunch, um, I would love to go home. I would love to hit the couch, maybe grab a nap. But I've got a ride on the schedule. I've got, listen to this, a three-hour ride at the end of February in New York. Now, I love riding, but there's nothing fun about being on a three-hour ride in New York in February. But I'm going to do it. You know why? Because spring is coming. (laughs) And that group ride is going to start up again. And you know what's going to be fun? This 54-year-old guy is going to to keep pace with those 30-year-olds when we hit that hill. That's my goal. And training is how that happens. Maybe. We'll see. Um, But training does what trying never can. And the idea is that same principle applies to our faith walk. Godliness. It doesn't happen because we want to be godly. Intentions need intentionality. That's why we put things in place. We call them spiritual disciplines. Things like setting a consistent time apart daily to spend time with God in prayer, in Bible reading, time to fellowship together with with others and whatever else it is that needs to be done to build up the Christ-like character in us. That's, That's why... On Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock, there's a room full of guys who show up here because of that commitment to do today what will make them stronger tomorrow. It's something we all need because the truth is we don't always feel like doing it. But the time will come in all of our lives when we're going to hit those hills, right? And the trials come and the challenges come and things get tough and that's why we, we train in advance instead of just trying in the moment. And so spiritual training is a safeguard. Sometimes 
it's tempting to kind of reduce the pursuit of godliness to like a nonstop series of Holy Spirit breakthroughs, you know, and, and it's common to hear this. All we really need is the Holy Spirit. When, he, when the Holy Spirit moves, when he shows up, everything changes. And yes, like there's a part to that that is so true, and, and we long for breakthroughs, we pray for breakthroughs, but ultimately it has to work its way out in our lives in the form of just ordinary obedience, cultivating discipline and holy habits, because if it doesn't, it leaves us open to getting scammed, right? We start substituting just truth and spiritual training for chasing experiences, emotional experiences, and sometimes that leaves us open to just being manipulated by people. That's how those spiritual um, scams get into us. So, So training, not trying, Firewall number three is set the standard. Paul tells Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So there would have been plenty of reasons that Timothy could have come up with to justify why let someone else set the standard. Let someone else be the example. He was young, there were older guys there. They were more experienced. They were more confident. They, they were maybe more articulate than he was. They had stronger reputations in the church, deeper connections than he had. But Paul says, no, you do it. You set the standard. Be that living example so when others look at you, they just get a glimpse. They get a snapshot of what maturity looks like. A life that others could imitate. Not in a boastful way, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that, that owns it instead of delegating that off to someone else. So what, what might happen if every one of us took it upon ourselves to set the believers an example? That's God talking to us, to, to live our lives in a way that exemplifies godly speech. Right, the kind that builds others up, that, 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 that exemplifies how Christians conduct their lives with joy, with peace, with contentment, with integrity. A life that exemplifies Christ-like love, that pours it out on others in heaping doses. A life that exemplifies faith, that, that takes risks, that trusts God for big things. A life that showcases the beauty of purity that resolves to set the standard and that kind of life, you know, it has a way of keeping us on track. It crystallizes the things that really matter and the things that don't matter. And we stop giving permission in those times to compromise and that shuts the door on lies and on deception. Firewall number four, um, stay active. Paul reminds Timothy about this gifting that God had given him. He goes back to this powerful moment when God met him, when the elders laid hands on him and and set him apart for the Lord's work. And Paul reminds him about this. He says, Timothy, that that was real. You have something. You've been given something. It's special. Don't neglect it. Keep using what you've been given. Develop it and keep growing in it. For Timothy, it was a teaching gift. What, what is it for you? 
God's given each of us something. There's some kind of unique gifting that we've been entrusted with to make a kingdom impact, to build up the body. And the point is, whatever it is, to use it. And I love that the expectation in this passage, it's on progress, not perfection. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that others will see your progress. Thank God it's progress because there's no such thing as, a, as an overnight sensation, as an overnight expert. We are all works in progress when it comes to using what we've been given. And the family of faith, the church, the local church provides the grace, the, the patience, the encouragement, and the equipping to grow in our giftings and to fan them into flame. So serving is a safeguard. We, we need to be active. Um, an inactive Christian is vulnerable. And there's a theme in this letter. We're actually going to get to it directly next week. But the trouble seems to come in Timothy's church from the sedentary saints, from the ones who are sitting around doing nothing. Those are the ones who are causing the most problems. So stay active. Keep serving. The fifth and the final safeguard is to keep watch. And this one kind of wraps the whole thing up. It says, um, keep a close watch on two things, on yourself and your teaching. Your life and the voices that you're letting into your life. The tendency is, for most of us, to just, on our own, just to watch one or the other. Watch this one, ignore the other. Some people are like doctrinal watchdogs, right? They can sniff out some kind of, something that's off that doesn't sound right from a mile away, but then when it comes to the way that they're living and and reflecting Jesus and love and faith and forgiveness and serving, there's just this, this huge disconnect and it's like your life looks more like the life of a Pharisee than it does of, of Jesus. There's something, there's something off there. Others will swing in the opposite direction. You know, they're all about loving Jesus, loving people, and just pay zero to little attention to what it is that they're taking in from a teaching point of view. They're just tuned into teachers who are off the rails but it doesn't even register on their radar screens. I don't care because they're inspiring and they just motivate me. They're charming. The voices that we tune into, they matter. So pay attention to both. The the spiritually safeguarded life doesn't settle for the either or. It embraces the both and. So deliberate is the firewall against deception. The scammers are still out there, but the firewalls get set so we can live secure, not scared, secure. And this safeguarding process that we're talking about, the the beautiful thing is it's not just what I do on my own, it's what we do together. It happens in community. It's part of the reason God places us together in a family of faith. It's actually what the local church is all about. We are here to watch out for each other, to watch each other's backs. Ephesians 4.14 talks about how spiritual maturity, how specifically the capacity to not get sucked into these spiritual scams, that it's a we thing, not a me thing. It says this, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a beautiful thing. That's, that's the bullseye. And as much as you know, we hear that it takes a village to raise a child, right? It takes a church to raise a Christian. We're in this together, so let's keep going after it because it's what this house is all about. Let's pray together.